When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Dearest gentle reader. Did you miss me? the members of our town questioned my identity and means. This author has been doing but one thing. Honing my skills. No, even better, I've been sharpening my knives. For all of you. Chris Bauer's score, along with the classical covers of modern songs, sets the mood for all the drama in season two of Netflix's Bridgerton. To talk about their work on the Regency era period drama and share some of the music, in this episode, we're joined by composer Chris Bowers and music supervisor Justin Camps. Bowers was Emmy-nominated a year ago for Bridgerton Season 1's score and main title theme music. Earlier, he earned Emmy nominations for the scores of Mrs. America and When They See Us. He was Oscar-nominated in 2021 for his documentary short, A Concerto is a Conversation, and his feature credits include King Richard, Respect, and Green Book. In addition to Bridgerton, Justin Camp's recent credits as a music supervisor include Resident Evil, Grey's Anatomy, and Nancy Drew. I'm Carolyn Giardino. Welcome to The Hollywood Reporter's Behind the Screen. Chris, Justin, thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you, Carolyn. Looking forward to talking about the music for season two of Bridgerton. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. (laughs) So uh, why don't we start with Chris? Big picture, um, as you approached this season, what were kind of the overarching themes, if that's the right word, to the music that you were looking to uh, achieve? Yeah, I think the things that I was excited about exploring in this season were the fact that, um, you know, we're focusing on uh, new stories, new characters, or getting deeper into new uh, into some of the characters that we knew last season, but being able to um, dive deeply into their stories in a way where we could create new themes. And so, you know, knowing that there would have to be 
a theme for Antony and Kate, um, and also knowing that we now know who Lady Whistledown is. So I was excited about exploring what uh, the development of her theme might be and how we might represent uh, her as Lady Whistledown, as as the you know uh, people of the ton know her, and then uh, her right. herself, um, Penelope, um, and Penelope as <laughs> Lady Whistledown. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and then um, uh, and the other thing for me was just keeping in mind how uh, fun it was to lean into some of the inspiration for me with the score, with the the pop aspects of like the feel or like melodies or different things like that, that really came from, you know, working on the score last year and, and um, leaning a bit further into that this year. Justin, do you want to elaborate on when um, you chose to bring the rearrangements of the modern music into the, the series? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, that that was actually, you know, established during uh, season one. And I know there's been, uh, you know, interviews with the amazing Betsy Beers uh, out there. And uh, she was actually the uh, first person who brought that up and kind of came up with that idea on season one. Um, and I, I did... I did work a little bit on season one uh, while I was still at Chop Shop working with Alexandra Patsavas, but she was the supervisor on season one. Um, and uh, I took over season two here and was just, you know, happy to be joining the team. And uh, it was, you know, the pop covers were such a success the first season. I was excited to dive in again for season two and see, you know, what we can do and expand on that a little bit further as well. Well, let's listen to some of the music. Um, Chris, let's start with the cue uh, from season one, Accidental Eavesdropping, which is when Anthony and Kate really meet for the first time and have their first uh, argument in the garden. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, with this cue, I think that um, it was one of the first times that I was scoring uh, a ball sequence for this season. And uh, for me, I really just wanted to write something that felt in line with a lot of the pop covers that um you know justin was picking and have something that feels like it almost could be a pop song that we've never heard before essentially um and then the other thing that was fun about this cue is how it has to function as um a dance piece for them to dance to in the ballroom but then once kate goes outside and starts to overhear auntie's conversation and they start having a conversation the music also serves as score to to that uh, banter as well so um you know it was a fun fun sequence to score Do you want to elaborate a little bit on what instruments you leaned into and just the feel you wanted to create? Yeah, I mean, it's really just a pretty traditional, uh, you know, string orchestra sound. And and uh, a lot of it was trying to have it feel as regal as like the ball we're seeing and have it feel like um, the instrumentation we might, almost like this is the band that's playing in the space, essentially. Um, and then, you know, creating these different sections in the song that can have um, uh, a way to play off of, of the action that we're seeing or the conversation that we're hearing. And Chris, tell us how you selected your musicians for the season. So a lot of it was just uh, going back to the musicians that were so 
great and helpful with us uh, with season one, especially because with season one, we recorded everything remotely because of the pandemic. And um, this was the first show that I had to um, score completely during the pandemic. I finished one where we scored the last couple of episodes, uh, figuring out this remote recording. With this one having such a bigger sound, it was a much uh, deeper process trying to figure out how to work with musicians to record remotely. And and um, I think the sound we achieved, we enjoyed so much. And, you know, Betsy and Scott and Tom and everybody and Chris, you know, liked the sound of it. So we actually decided to uh, go back to that remote recording this year, even though, you know, we had the option of recording in the studio. It just felt like it was um, such a great process. And again, we got a sound that we were really happy with that we didn't want to stray too far away from. And so we went right back to the same musicians that played on this last season just because they had such a great workflow in terms of, um, you know, getting the files from me and recording at home and making edits and making sure that what they gave back to us, we were able to just drop in and my mixing engineer can mix uh, pretty easily. Um, so, you know, you're hearing a string orchestra, but it's really just five string musicians that have layered this, themselves a few times to create this folder sound. So also in the first episode of the season, you have a cue called The Real Work Begins, and that's when uh, Edwina, uh, Kate's sister, is named the Diamond, and she dances with Anthony for the first time. Would you describe your work on that and introduce that cue? Yeah. Uh, so this is another one of my favorite cues. And again, it was just leaning into something that could have uh, you know a pretty singable melody, uh, and it has this kind of like alluring, uh, almost darkness to it, given that we already have the sense of um, Antony and Kate's connection as as Antony's chosen Edwina to be the one that he's pursuing. Um, and, uh, you know, so the music kind of has this like darker element to it. Um, and then it also is pretty far stretched in terms of being a variation on Antony and Kate's theme, just because in my mind, uh, you know, this sets it up as if Edwina and, and Antony are going to have their own theme and this is it. But as we learn later, you know, their relationship is a bit more um, uh, difficult in, in terms of Antony's connection with Kate. And so this theme kind of sets this up as this like uh, possibly somewhat dangerous uh, connection that the two of them have. Another story point in episode one is Lady Whistledown, uh, we now know is Penelope. One of her cues is called Sharpening My Knives. Would you like to describe that one? Yeah, I think this one was fun to, you know, it's really, um, it's right after the main title and, and us just kind of launching back into this world with uh, being reintroduced to Lady Whistledown. And it starts with the Lady Whistledown theme we've heard last season, and it's a little bit uh, updated and a bit fresher. Um, but then as we start to, uh, you know, see that it's Penelope writing this and we get to remind ourselves of the fact that she is Lady Whistledown and we go into her going into that process of um, of making the, the paper, we uh, hear her side of the theme. So this is the first time that we're introduced to 
both sides of the coin when it comes to the musical themes for Lady Whistledown and Penelope as Lady Whistledown. You described it as an update from last season. Would you elaborate on what you wanted to bring to the uh, the queue this time? Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, it's definitely a bit more playful. I think the first season, the uh, thing with Lady Whistledown, it's like um, the first time we hear it, it's really got more bite to it or it's a bit, um, it's not dark at all, but it definitely has a bit more darkness than what we hear here. I think that in this version, you know, especially knowing who it is and, and having the uh, fun of being reintroduced to her, this version of it is much more playful and much more um, uh, tongue in cheek as far as like kind of like uh, having us laugh with Lady Whistledown uh, at, at, you know, her having fun at the the expense of the people of the ton. <laughs> So in season two, there's also a scene where Anthony brings a horse as a gift to Edwina, but he also has an exchange with Kate. Let's talk about that cue titled A Gift to Edwina. Yeah, so this is uh, pretty much the first time that we really hear Kate and Anthony's theme uh, melodically in, in its full iteration. I mean, there are a few times in, in episode one where we hear little bits of it, and in episode two, we hear a bit more of it. But um, for me, it was just fun to have this moment where Antony's bringing this gift for Edwina, but then have the musical theme that's playing actually be uh, the theme for him and Kate uh, and, you know, start to see this feeling of like their interaction and, and uh, you know, what's happening for them as he's interacting with Edwina. Uh, and for me, it was really fun to, um, you know, in season one, have this theme for Daphne and Simon that I was able to develop throughout the whole season and have all these ups and downs of their relationship. And so it was the same with this season, being able to have this theme for Antony and Kate that uh, went through all of these different uh, iterations. And it has a bit of a darker sound than I think Simon and Daphne's theme, just because, you know, for me, when I first wrote it, just knowing the beginning of the relationship to me, it just felt like this is obviously you know, doomed as far as what we, what, what might happen. How, how could this turn out in a good way? I think is like the idea I had in, in terms of the beginning of writing it, but knowing that any theme that has a melody that can withstand some different harmonic changes, then, you know, it can be playful like it is in this scene um, uh, for a gift with Edwina and even get a bit more positive toward the end of the season. Jumping to episode six, we have the wedding sequence, which doesn't go as planned, <laughs> and um, which probably most of our listeners know now. And it, it it ends with a kiss. Chris, would you describe that? Must have been a challenging cue to write. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, this whole like season up to this point, we've really been um, 
just leaning forward, waiting for the moment where they actually uh, fully acknowledge this connection that they have um, physically. And, and uh, uh, for this cue, it just was like trying to capture the feeling of all of that bottled up uh, energy and tension and and all of that and having it finally feel like it's releasing and and this is the first time that we hear their theme in this really romantic and robust and beautiful way and and so it was fun to you know play it's it's a short cue but just playing this tension as they're you know t- talking about what's happened at the wedding and the idea of of their connection and all of that and then as they get closer you know, once they actually kiss, the their theme just explodes in this way that we haven't heard before. But, you know, the melody is the exact same. But now harmonically, it just has this, again, rich and, and romantic um, uh, feeling to it, which was really fun just to kind of fully lean in for the first time this season to this, uh, like, lush, romantic-sounding um, theme. Again, it's actually mostly a string orchestra. I think it's just the the fact that, like, you know, the, you have these... Um, uh, arpeggios and the cellos that are like playing this this uh, uh, pattern that gives a lot of momentum even though it's like this slow uh, kind of like lyrical moment um, all of the strings are undulating in this way that just keeps this motion uh, to kind of really mirror the uh, the way it's shot really I think that you know you have this kiss but like you see it from all these different angles and these like um, these cuts that kind of um, really like make it make us feel the kiss in a, in a really immersive way i feel and so wanting the music to not uh to not settle once they're kissing to really like grow with the the passion that they have so you know it's just having the strings uh, be uh, have motion to them the entire time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Supply. Justin, you created rearrangements for a number of songs. How did you pick the songs? Well, uh, you know, it kind of starts off a lot of different ways. Um, You know, at at the very early points in the season, we're picking songs based on uh, what our choreographer Jack Murphy has designed for these ball sequences that are going to need to be shot very, you know, that that's the, that's the first step, obviously shooting the, shooting the season. Uh, and so what we need to do is plan ahead for these on camera moments. So originally we're pitching things that are in a specific tempo, specific feel to match the exact dance dances that he has set up for these balls. So very early on, it's all about tempo time signature, you know, just overall feel of the song. And then um, after the scenes are shot and they've head to, you know, the editing bay and we're into post, then it becomes a whole different situation where, where, you know, we can start to think a little bit more about 
what the characters are feeling in that moment, um, how the scene has been edited together. And now, now after, after it's been shot and edited now, what is the, the feel of this moment? Like, you know, is it, is it a lot of like fast cuts? Is it a montage that's moving quickly? Do we need something like with a little, little bit more frenetic upbeat sound or, you know, is it, did this dance really come together in this flowing way uh, in the, in post? And now we need to have something that matches that feeling a little bit more than maybe like the stricter time signature that we were looking for uh, at the beginning. Well, let's pick one as an example. Um, Would you like to describe how, uh, what about us from pink came about? Yeah. So that, that one was interesting. We, uh, you know, we, we originally had a different song in there that we uh, were not able to get cleared. And so there was kind of like a last minute, uh, you know, rush to replace this track. And, um, you know, this is, uh, so I, so I had to do a lot of really quick searching to find something that would a fit for this, this moment. That's kind of towards the end of uh, episode six and also something that could clear in like three days. Um, so, uh, it was a little bit of a panic, but you know, we, I, I came across this, uh, unreleased track from Duomo, which is one of the groups that, you know, was featured in season one and we're excited to have them back again in season two with a couple covers. And I just felt like this one is one that lyrically fit really well with what is happening in the, in the sequence where everyone's, you know, as the fans have seen already, Edwina's like made her decision and everything's kind of blown up at this wedding. You know, we were talking about the wedding, uh, you know, with Chris's score and the wedding has ended terribly. And now Edwina has to make a decision if, you know, she wants to try to, you know, continue on with this or pursue her own interests, you know, and not, not, not try to, uh, maintain the relationship with Anthony. And, um, she makes a decision that she does not want to move forward. And so it leaves, you know, Kate and Anthony kind of thinking like, what about us? And the Bridgerton family also thinking the same, having the same question. And it also plays under a scene with Eloise and Theo, where she's kind of, you know, trying in her awkward way to, you know, um, tell her feelings to Theo and that she's always thinking about him and seeing if he reciprocates those feelings at all. And so everyone in the, this entire sequence is kind of having this thought about what about us? You know, the lyrics of the song are like, what about trust? You know, what, what about love? Uh, and, and these are the kind of questions that are all going around in our characters minds at this moment. And I just thought, you know, that, that lyric, you know, even though we're not hearing the lyrics, people are thinking them as, as they hear the song, hear the cover. And then the, the, sound of the actual cover itself really helped this kind of like melancholy moment as we've reached, uh, you know, kind of a climax of all of these stories happening at the same moment. How did these rearrangements occur? Did you work with the given performers? Yeah, m- many of them, uh, many of the recordings already existed. Um, you know, there was, uh, a- a- when when we were originally working on, you know, season one with Alex at the start, there was, you know, not very many, um, you know, string quartet covers that existed. It was kind of like Vitamin String Quartet and a couple other groups and the pool was very limited. And then the, you know, season one came out and it was such a huge success with the pop covers that there was a, a huge spike in interest 
in season two when, uh, you know, things got started and I started reaching out to see, you know, what new string covers were out there. We got a lot of new interest from other artists and um, other producers and arrangers. And so, you know, a lot of the stuff that uh, we ended up using in the show already existed. There's a few things that kind of came along the way. Obviously, Chris Chris did a couple amazing arrangements for us. Those didn't exist until we, you know, started working on the season. And um, there's a couple other ones. I think uh, I think Diamonds was another one that came about pretty quickly from from Hannah V and Joe Rodwell, um, something that they turned around very quickly when I had reached out about um, looking for covers of Diamonds. Um, but, uh, yeah, the other ones were all things that existed or were unreleased at the moment. And, um, yeah, so we're not, I'm not necessarily, you know, working directly with them to create the arrangements, but I am, you know, making sure that they fit in within the sound that Bridgerton likes to use. Well, as you mentioned, Chris did a few of these and Chris, you played on them too. Would you talk about Material Girl? Yeah. Um, so that one, yeah, I was super excited when Justin asked me to, uh, to participate in any of the, any of the covers, just because I feel like it uh, again was so cool to see how much the fans responded to that, and to me that was like one of the most brilliant aspects of the show. Like, there's so many times where people are like, "Oh, you do the music for Bridgerton? Like, I love this cover," and I'm like, "Oh, I didn't actually do that one." <laughs> so it's nice to be able to like get in on a couple of the covers. Uh, and um, you know, for the Madonna one, I think that like my process with uh, any cover, even like before Bridgerton, is always you know, respecting the um, the melody, respecting like how great the production on those things are and how much we're also responding to that whenever we listen to it. That like when I listen to the original Madonna version, there's so much of it that I was like, oh, I have to find a way to like, you know, get these ad libs that she's doing or get these like background vocals from the guys and like, you know, this like uh, crazy synth line that happens at the at the chorus, make sure that that's being played. And so listening to it first, I then was thinking about how I could represent that in the orchestra. And I just decided to have it be strings with harpsichord um, and have the harpsichord playing a lot of those synth parts. Um, another part of it is just, you know, thinking again about what possibly could be in this space that they're in, in terms of like instrumentation and not going too far with, um, you know, brass and woodwinds and all this stuff. Um, and then... Uh, really like uh, for me I I transcribed it like as detailed as possible just because that's such a fun process and again like a part of what I think makes it feel uh, like we're able to immediately think of or recall the original song is like me transcribing the bass part transcribing like all the background parts and transcribing all these different sections to then uh, put it into the orchestra and then hope that it feels as close to the original as possible Um, so yeah it was a, a really fun process. Which uh, rearrangements did you play on? Actually, just um, just Material Girl because I play the harpsichord part. I mean, it's it's not real harpsichord; it's like MIDI harpsichord. But that's you know the only actually uh, recording of me playing something with the ensemble, and then the rest of it's strings. And then for um, Kabikashi Kamagan, that, that's uh, all strings. 
Now that's a Bollywood hit, correct, Justin? Yeah, that one. Uh, I was really excited to you know be able to include this one and 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 you know even and to have Chris do this. Uh, you know, it came up really early on uh, in post. I think you know the director Tom Verica had reached out saying that you know they are interested in featuring a Bollywood cover during this Haldi ceremony because, you know, they thought it would be, you know, obviously very appropriate and another great way to increase the, you know, South Asian Asian representation in the, uh, in the series. Um, and, uh, I had, you know, immediately it was like, yeah, that sounds great. Let's, you know, I'm going to dive into it and see what we, what's clearable and everything. And, uh, it, it was interesting when I first started reaching out, it seemed like, you know, Bali, everyone was telling me Bollywood tracks are very hard to clear. You know, um, the people, uh, copyright holders in India are very precious with the copyright because obviously, you know, these films are such a huge cultural uh, touchstone for them and and um, very important and held dear. And so uh, I came back with a very small list of things I could potentially clear. Um, and it became obvious uh, very fairly quickly that Kabikushi Kabigam was going to be the... Um, the winner here. Uh, and I think it's just perfect because it has, you know, a lot of, uh, the, the film that the song comes from has a lot of parallels with Bridgerton as far as like the family dynamics and duty versus love and everything. Um, and so it, it ended up being great. And I think, you know, originally, um, the thought was to kind of like interpolate it into some of Chris's score. But then I think everyone just really fell in love with the, uh, you know, the cover so much that it became a full blown cover. And I'm so grateful for that. Um, because, uh, you know, it's been, uh, the fan reaction to that cover has been very, very big and people are just really loving it. And I, I it's all over TikTok and everything. And so I'm, I'm really proud of that one. And, you know, Chris obviously did an amazing job. Um, and it, it's just like a really beautiful moment in episode two of six. For both of you, what do you enjoy most about working on this series? Oh man, I just love working with strings. You know, <laughs> I, it's not it's not often that I'm getting to just be like, I'm going to pitch everything strings. You know, uh, these these covers. Uh, you know, I was a big fan growing up of like orchestral score and and just like a lot of times, you know, in, unless you're you know at some classical, you know, a fancy dinner where they're playing a string quartet or something. On a lot of the shows I work on, there's not a lot of call for you know string quartet music or string music. And I just think it's uh, a wonderful, you know, sound to get to work with. And also I, I love the idea that these pop covers are, you know, bringing that sound and, and the idea of listening to strings and everything to a new audience that might not have necessarily been thinking to even check something like that out uh, in the past. Yeah. I think um, same for me. I feel like it's, um, you know, I work on projects where like, there are times where I've gotten notes back that where the filmmakers feel like what I'm doing is, quote, too musical in terms of like wanting the score to really fall into the background and be more textural and not be noticed and and not really be too emotional or any of that kind of stuff. And I grew up uh, like similar to what Justin was saying, I grew up 
with a huge love for like these big orchestral scores and like really overt melodies and themes and things like that. And so, you know, this is one of the few projects I'm able to work on where like uh, I can really lean into the emotionality of, of the score and lean into making themes really clear and, and, um, and uh, you know, memorable or singable. And um, I feel like also the the fun of being able to find different ways to use the orchestra and not be, you know, too limited to the time period, uh, I think is also a, a lot of fun. Just that, um, you know, there are times where, especially for some of the the garden parties or the ball sequences where we want the music to feel a bit more on the traditional side. And then other times where I literally feel like I'm writing like a pop song and just kind of orchestrating it with strings. And so uh, the freedom that this show uh, affords creatively, I'm super thankful for and just how much trust, um, you know, Betsy and Chris and Tom have in, in me in the process, I think is, is a blast. And what can you share about season three? <laughs> Yeah, Justin might know more than me. I don't know. I don't. I don't. All I know is that yeah, I've already, I've already, you know, (laughs) I've already been reached out to by the choreographer about music ideas. So that's that's as far as it's gotten. I I, otherwise I I can't say. We we I I don't know. I haven't seen anything. What else are on your plates? Um, For me, I'm um, uh, working right now on a feature for Netflix, and then also um, uh, working on a Marvel TV show. Yeah, I can't name the Marvel one. I can say that um, uh, I, I'm working on uh, The Haunted Mansion with Justin Simeon. I can talk about that as well for Disney. Um, yeah, and a few other projects. Um, yeah, I'm working on, I have a, uh, later this summer, um, there's a Resident Evil TV series coming out on Netflix that uh, is already all done. I'm just, we're just waiting for it to come out. I can't wait for people to see it. Um and then uh, I, uh, I'm going to be working on season four of Nancy Drew uh, for the CW when that kicks up. And I am um, I joined the team for Grey's Anatomy, so I'm helping to uh, music supervise Grey's Anatomy. And I'm working on a pilot uh, for the, the Winchesters, which is like a supernatural prequel for the CW. Well, we're out of time. Thank you so much, both of you, for joining us today. <laughs> Thanks for having us. Yeah, Carolyn. Thanks for having us. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.